Uh, we're in John 14 today. <clears throat> I had my car in for repairs this past week. Um, on Monday, the technician called me, told me what he found, gave me an estimate of what it was going to cost. It was something like $819 or something like that. And I, I asked him for a few minutes to think it through and uh, talked it over with Karen, then called him back and said, yeah, go ahead, let's do this. Uh, the next day, the woman uh, who works the desk there called to say the repairs had been completed. I asked her how much it was. She, she read the bill, just what I expected, $819, something like that. But I said, what? I thought it was $219. And she got really quiet. And then I said, oh, I'm just messing with you. I knew it would be over $800 because, you know, I thought she'd appreciate a customer who joked about the bill instead of getting angry about it. Karen said, I can't believe you did that. <laughs> and I said, I thought she'd get a laugh out of it, and I thought she did. But when I picked up the car, she told me, I went back over your bill, and I saw that we had overcharged you $40 in labor costs. And so that, that'll be taken off the bill. And that surprised me. So I said something about, again, about, you know, I was just goofing around, and she didn't seem to hear me. And, and before I left, I said something else, and she didn't seem to hear that either. And I got in my car, I'm driving home, and then it occurred to me that maybe she has suffered some hearing loss. And then it occurred to me that maybe when I said, what? I thought it cost $219 that she heard that, but when I said more softly, oh, I'm just messing with you, she didn't hear that. And so now there may be a woman out there and, <laughs> and a business, and who knows who else, who thinks the pastor at Lockwood Church is a mean, old, stingy guy. Communication is a tricky thing. Uh, there are all kinds of reasons people get confused, and most of them have nothing to do with hearing loss. We suffer understanding loss. We all do. And, and that's why we have to love everybody all the time. Um, but when we suffer understanding loss between us and God, it can be a serious thing. We can hear the words, like the words in a sermon, and, and understand them in a very different way than they're meant. Let me give you an example. People read about God's wrath in the Bible and how Jesus died in our place and bore our sins and conclude that God is angry and just had to punish someone. And Jesus, who is not angry, didn't want it to be us, so he deflected the blow and took the punishment. Now, people don't usually put it that crudely, but that's often what people hear. That summary of the good news sounds a whole lot like bad news. But because there's truth mixed in with the falsehood, people swallow it whole. And the worst part of it is, I think, the heretical way it separates the father and the son into a kind of good cop, bad cop team. Now, if you're a cop, and I know we have some, I, I thought about saying good preacher, bad preacher, but it just doesn't have the same feel to it. Instead of seeing a father who is determined to rescue his children, we get a God who's determined to hurt them. Instead of the biblical understanding that sin is ruining us, we get a God who will ruin us. 
And fortunately for us, the son is a lot nicer than the father, and he intervenes, otherwise we'd all be toast. That's heresy. The son is not the good cop and the father the bad cop because they're both good and neither one is a cop. This teaching does one of the great disservices to people. It makes it almost impossible to fully trust the God and Father of Jesus, whom we must trust. How can you trust someone who only yesterday wanted to toast you? But the Father and Son are of one mind. See, the Son hates sin every bit as much as the Father. And the Father loves sinners every bit as much as the Son. What the Son says, the Father says. What the Father does, the Son also does. Do you remember John 5.19? We looked at it earlier in this series. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does, Jesus said. There is not and never can be, as St. Anselm put it, any division in the Godhead. As Jesus put it, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Now let's read that passage from John 14. We're going to start with verse 1 and read through verse 11. Jesus is speaking. It's the night prior to his arrest and execution. The night of his arrest, the eve of his execution. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it weren't so, I would have told you. I remember a time when I was struggling with some doubts and that phrase helped me so much. If it weren't so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way. The truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that'll be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it's the Father living in me who's doing his work. Believe me when I say that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles. In Greek, is just the works themselves. Today we conclude the series that we've been in, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which has surveyed what Jesus taught about the Father. Jesus has taught us, and just remind you of a few things, the Father is light all the way through. In him is no darkness at all. We've learned from Jesus that his Father loves to reward his children. He wants people, no matter what they've done, to come to him. He knows what's going on with us, knows what we need before we even ask. 
He's at work right now all around us and wants us to join the family business. He wants us to come to work for him and with him in the world. Today we'll see one more thing that Jesus taught about his father. The father looks just like him. Look at verse 9 again. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. The Scott, great Bible scholar, William Barclay, said this is the most staggering thing Jesus ever said. To the Greeks, God was characteristically the invisible. The Jew would count it as an article of faith that no man has seen God at any time. And yet here's Jesus saying, if you know me, you know the unknowable. And if you've seen me, you've seen the invisible. And if you meet me, you have met God. My favorite disciple, Philip the Confused, had just said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and it'll be enough for us. Philip was apparently hoping for a pillar of, of cloud and fire to appear there in the upper room, hoping for what Bible students call a theophany. Rabbi, if you could just bring God Almighty into this room, that would clear up everything. Uh, I mean, it doesn't have to be for a long time or anything. I mean, if the maker of heaven and earth could just materialize here for a few seconds, that'd be enough for us. It was a silly thing to say. But we say silly things too. Fortunately, Jesus doesn't stop loving us when we get mixed up. He uses our misunderstandings to reveal God and his ways to us more clearly. You see that over and over again in the scriptures. I remember John chapter 3, Jesus did that with Nicodemus when he misunderstood him. Uh, in John chapter 4, he does it with the woman at the well who had some wrong ideas. When uh, Mary and Martha got confused, chapter 11, Jesus uses their confusion to show them what they hadn't seen before. And on plenty of other occasions, chapter 2, uh, elsewhere in chapter 6, elsewhere in chapter 11, we are full of misunderstandings. Jesus doesn't despise us for that, but he will instruct us if we'll listen. Look at what Jesus says next to Philip. Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Can you imagine anyone else saying that? Pope Francis couldn't say that. Billy Graham would never say that. Mother Teresa wouldn't think of saying that. Shirley MacLaine did say that, but that's a whole nother matter. These remarkable people and many great saints beside would never say such a thing, but Jesus did. If you've seen me, you have seen the Father, God himself. Now look at verse 10. Don't you believe me that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it's the Father living in me who's doing his work. Now when Jesus speaks of his work here and in the next two verses. He has more in mind than miracles. That's why I gave you the literal translation instead of the way the NIV puts it. Um, John used a different word routinely for the miracles. His works included miracles, but went beyond that. For example, Jesus' teaching, he says, was one of the Father's works. 
Uh, verse 10, the works I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it's the Father living in me doing his work. The word, words reveal the Father. Eating with tax collectors was as much a work as raising Lazarus from the dead, and both revealed what God is like. Blessing children was a revelation of the Father's character. So was healing the blind. When Jesus forgave the man, men who hammered the nails into his hands and feet, he was being a chip off the old the eternal block. He was showing us what his father is like. That's good news. That is great news. At the heart of the universe is a being of unimaginable power, unfathomable wisdom, and approachable glory. And he looks just like Jesus. More than that, in Jesus, the powerful, wise, glorious God has come to us and revealed himself in a way that we can know him. We can know him. Now, I skipped over something I want to go back to. It's very important for us to understand. Go back to verse 7, where Jesus says, If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Jesus makes the transcendent and incomprehensible God not comprehensible, that, that will never be, but knowable. He has, as the Apostle John wrote in the prologue to this book, made the Father known. Plato once said, to find out the Father and maker of all this universe is a hard task. And when we found him, to speak of him to men is impossible. The book of Job sounds a similar note when Zophar gets in Job's face. This is in chapter 11. Gets in Job's face and says to him, can you by searching find out God? And it's clear that the implied answer is no. We can't find out God. But God has found us. We can't know him by our efforts, but he can make himself known, and he's done so in Jesus. So now we're ready for verse 7. Notice the prepositional phrase, from now on. The Greek says, and from now you know him and have seen him. What did Jesus have in mind when he said from now? What would be different from now on? What changes so that they would know the Father the answer to that question can only be one thing. Remember, this is the night of his arrest. The answer to that question can only be one thing, the cross. Here, more than anywhere, the Father is brought into focus with startling clarity and in all his glory. It's on the cross, as St. John keeps telling us, he, he grasped this like no one else had. It's on the cross that the glory of God shines the brightest. When Jesus says, from now on, he's talking about the cross. Philip and others would see the Father when they looked at the cross. Now, of course the heavens declare his handiwork. Night after night, the psalm says, one can hear God in the speech that pours forth from the spinning galaxies. And one might feel for him, St. Paul says, and find him, since he's not far from any of us, but if you want to see him, 
look at the cross. Jesus could have pointed to a dozen of God's mighty deeds. He could have said, Philip, you want to see God? You want to see his power? Look at the Exodus and see how he conquered armies. Look at the stars and see how he formed the universe. He could have said, look at the captivity and see how God brings about judgment. But he said, look at me on the cross and you will see God. Now, I mentioned that people sometimes play the father off against the son in a kind of good cop, bad cop, theological crime drama. But that is wrong-headed. Jesus doesn't save us from the father. He saves us for the father and with the father. Many years ago, Karen was in a meeting about curriculum, and somebody in the meeting spoke up and said, does the father save us? And he said, he meant, the implied answer was no. That's heresy. The Bible tells us again and again that God saves us, the Father and the Son. If you want to see what the Father's like, look at Jesus. You want to know what God is like? Look at him. Look at the manger where he who was rich became poor for our sakes. Look closely. This is what God looks like. Look at the man who became indignant when children were treated as nobodies, who took them in his arms and blessed them. This is what God the Father looks like. Look at the mysterious one who stands atop the waves and commands them to be still. This is what God the Father looks like. Look at the rabbi who welcomes sinners joyfully, enters their lives, shares their food. This is what God the Father looks like. Do you really want to know God, what he is like, who he is? Then look at the all-powerful, all-glorious, transcendent one who empties himself. See him enter our suffering. See him bear our sins. See him descend into the darkness on our behalf. Look closely because this is what the God and Father of Jesus looks like. In the great hymn to Christ found in Philippians 2, we read that Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. A few years ago, it occurred to me that I always read had been led to read that. In verse 6, as though it said, Christ Jesus, who even though he was in very nature, God emptied himself. That's not what Paul's saying. The Greek is like this. Christ Jesus in the form of God existing did not consider equality with God something to be grasped onto, but emptied himself. See, it's not even though Jesus was in very nature, God, he did this. It's because he was in very nature God that he emptied himself. See, this is what God is like. This is what he's always been like. This is what he was like when he created the universe. This is what he was like when he expelled the man and woman from the garden. This is what he was like in the great flood. This is what he's been like in the darkest moments of human existence. The Black Plague, the Lisbon Earthquake the horrors of Auschwitz, the Soviet purge, and the smoke and debris of 9-11. 
This is what he was like on the day my brother died. This is what he was like on the day your spouse left. This is what he will be like on the day you take your last breath. Look at the cross and see the God who did not shun us but entered our suffering. The suffering we've endured and the suffering we've caused. The God who bore our sins so that we might bear his likeness. This is a God you can trust. This is a God you can know and love. This is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's pray. Give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God so that we who are blind might see and we who are confused might understand and we who are sinners might be saved. Point us to the cross of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray.